I am very excited to announce that the doors to the PCOS Food Fix are officially open and we're starting on March 6th. This is my brand new six-week coaching program where you'll learn how to reverse your PCOS symptoms with a nutrition plan that does not feel like a diet or eliminates your favorite foods. In this program, I'm going to teach you how to quote unquote, fix your PCOS symptoms while getting your food fix as well. We are not going to eliminate anything. You're not gonna feel restricted. This is an inclusive program that allows flexible eating for PCOS, which is really the only way to go. If you're a woman dealing with PCOS and you feel confused about what to eat or frustrated with lack of results despite your best efforts and you want to follow a realistic plan that fits into your busy schedule, this program was created to help you. Your doctor may not have shared this, but many, if not all of your PCOS symptoms can absolutely be reversed with a healthy meal plan. But there's so much more to it than just following a certain menu or knowing to add protein to your day. No, no, no. We go way deeper than that inside the PCOS food fix. What you're going to learn inside this program will change not only how you eat, but how you think about food as well. It will help you make a full transformation of your health, not for a week, not for a month, for the rest of your life. I want you to imagine waking up every morning, feeling confident about your food choices, seeing positive changes in your body and feeling more comfortable in your clothes and in general than you have been in years. It's going to also help you stay more consistent and motivated which really means that your biggest health goals, whether that's weight loss, getting your period back, increasing fertility, reducing cravings, having more energy, feeling less anxious, feeling more positive, less brain fog, all of these things will likely become a reality by the end of our time together. I am going to give you a step-by-step process to doing that as well as support along the way. You get private coaching with me. You get daily chat support. We have live calls. So you are going to get the accountability, support, and guidance that you need every step of the way. So what I want you to do right now is go ahead and check out all the program details over at daphnachazen.com slash food fix, one word, DaphnaChazen.com forward slash food fix. And I cannot wait to see you inside. Hey there, I'm Daphna Chazen, and this is the Down to Earth PCOS Nutrition Podcast. On the show, we talk about managing PCOS using proven strategies, ditching diets for good, and balancing hormones naturally. Let's get to it. Heart Health Month. And did you know that cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death among women, taking more lives per year than all cancer types combined? I mean, this statistic is crazy. Many women don't realize it. And women with PCOS are especially at risk for cardiovascular disease due to insulin resistance, higher rates of high cholesterol levels and triglycerides levels that are high, as well as PCOS being a pro-inflammatory condition. All of these things put you at risk for cardiovascular disease more significantly than other women. The good news is that 80% of cardiac events, such as heart attacks and stroke, 
can be prevented. And of course, nutrition and lifestyle habits play a huge role in that. Now, I recently sat down for an interview with Ashley Levinson, also known as PCOS Girl, as part of the important campaign that she leads called Heart for PCOS. Heart for PCOS is the largest national campaign dedicated to awareness and education about the connection between PCOS and cardiovascular disease. And during the month of February, she released so many wonderful interviews, really dozens of them with leaders and influencers in this space, plus educational content highlighting the importance of early detection and intervention for cardiovascular disease, specifically for PCOS patients. And so today I'm re-airing the interview that I had with her. So I'm being interviewed today on this episode, and this was published on YouTube as well as on social media. So I wanted to spread the word, make sure that I'm putting out the content that she had put out just so we can reach more people still in the month of February, if you're listening to this in real time, and really increase awareness, education, and action toward reducing cardiovascular disease in general, and specifically in women with PCOS. And so... This is the interview that I had with Ashley. We talked about PCOS, how to manage it, what are some of the things that are important to pay attention to. And I hope that you find it valuable and definitely go check Ashley out. Her account is PCOS Girl with You. So P-C-O-S-G-U-R-L or Heart for PCOS with the number four, not the word for on Instagram, as well as on Facebook. She does amazing work. She brought together so many incredible experts in the field of PCOS and health in general. And I highly recommend that you go check out this content. And in the meantime, enjoy this conversation with Ashley from Heart for PCOS. Welcome, Daphna. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Ashley. Absolutely. As part of the Heart for PCOS 10th anniversary, I really want to give people the tools and resources they need to keep their hearts beating strong by reducing risk factors for cardiovascular disease and PCOS. So are you ready to dive in? I'm ready. Let's do this. I think one of the biggest complaints I hear from patients with PCOS with regards to nutrition is sustainability. We are often inundated by messaging on social media, pointing to new fads, quick fixes, and the best diet plans. And as a result, a lot of the patients don't realize that the root of the word diet means to nurture and nutrition is so much more than just weight loss for PCOS. So I'd love you to share why nutrition is so important and really one of the foundations in building a PCOS care plan. Yeah, I'd love to talk about that because you're right. It is so overwhelming, but nutrition is known to be the best approach in managing PCOS. And that's not just me saying it as a dietitian, that's been shown in studies over and over again. So studies do show that nutrition is more impactful in managing PCOS than medications, than birth control pills, which are all fine. And, you know, if someone does need to use some of those interventions as well, that can be done in conjunction with nutrition, but the nutrition piece has to be there. The main reason for this is that there are two drivers behind PCOS in the vast majority of cases, and those are insulin resistance and inflammation. So most women with PCOS will have some degree of either one of those things or both combined together 
which is pretty common. And that's usually what's driving symptoms like weight gain and cravings and fatigue, acne, missing periods, infertility. And the good news here is that both of these drivers are very responsive to diet and lifestyle changes. And so if someone has PCOS, there is a really good chance that changing their nutrition in various ways, and everyone's going to be a little bit different, is going to be really impactful in treating those symptoms because it takes care of reducing inflammation and insulin resistance. So that's the main reason why nutrition is so powerful. And I think it's good news. It's the silver lining with the PCOS diagnosis because we have to eat every single day, right? We all do it. So it's something that is already part of our life and learning how to do it in a way that supports our hormones is very empowering and it gives you control as someone with PCOS and it really allows you to live a very balanced lifestyle while managing the condition. And so nutrition is my jam and I love talking about it. And the fact that it makes such a huge difference in PCOS lights me up. I love that you're excited about it because I'm excited about it because I am just starting to realize that that nutrition and food can actually be a natural form of medicine. So, I mean, I, I love that there are things that we can do and things that we can put in our body that can help us because I know sometimes it can be really difficult to get on a nutrition plan or any long-term plan when you have to make changes. So in your practice, you talk about utilizing a whole body approach with your patients. So why is this in concepts like health at every size so important in a nutrition approach when we're looking to create a care plan? Yeah, so I think that we really need to take the health conversation and elevate it a little bit. And we see this a lot on social media now, which I think is part of the better side of social media, where we're not just talking about food all the time. There are a lot of components to health that are not nutrition related. And so nutrition is great. It's foundational. It's very important. But I do think we need to look at the whole person. And you know the saying, you are what you eat. Well, I say you are what you eat, but also how you sleep and how you move and how you manage stress and a lot of other things. And so we need to look at all of those factors when we're looking to manage PCOS and not just be very narrow minded with, okay, I'm going to go on keto or I'm going to do this diet or I heard that gluten and dairy free is the best thing for me. And, you know, really micromanaging your food intake in this way can be harmful. It could be stressful. And so I think that we need to take weight and dieting out of the conversation. We need to look more at health as a whole lifestyle. And I know it's cliche to say, but someone's stress management, sleep, movement, how they think, how they eat, what they're putting in their body, all of those things matter. And really weight is not part of that conversation because weight is a symptom of PCOS. It's a symptom of something that's not right with someone's hormones. And so if we're only focused on what's going on on the scale, on losing 10 pounds, on going on the best quote unquote diet that I heard of because a coworker is on it or whatever, we can not only drive ourselves nuts because there's a new diet every single day, we can actually disrupt our hormones further because a lot of those diets are not suitable for PCOS. And so I think this is why the focus on weight can be a little bit toxic and damaging for a lot of people. And we need to kind of zoom out, look at everything else that's going on with your health and start there. 
losing weight with PCOS is not going to necessarily treat your missing periods, your hormonal imbalances. And the biggest proof of this is that we have a lot of individuals who are not at a higher weight with PCOS and they're still struggling with hormonal imbalances, right? So that just shows that weight is not the end all be all of managing PCOS. Now, that being said, it can help in some cases. And we do know that managing someone's weight can enhance their fertility, but I would say it's not a great place to start, especially because, you know, it's so linked with dieting and eating patterns that are a little bit disordered, which women with PCOS are at a high risk for. Right. And thank you for saying that, because I, I don't think a lot of people realize that patients with PCOS deal with eating disorders at higher rates, body dysmorphia at higher rates, mood disorders at higher rates. Some of it can be hormonal, but a lot of it I I really believe is just the, the stress that we're put under. And a lot of times when you're walking into a doctor's office and A, you're overweight, it's all about, oh, lose weight and you'll be fine. Or B, if you're not heavy enough, there's no way that you can have PCOS. So yeah, I like that idea of changing perceptions and shifting it to health and not concentrating on weight. I think it's very important. So yeah. And I think also we see that women can absolutely stay at the same weight or individuals in general can stay at the same weight that they're at, but really optimize their health. And so the health at every size philosophy does prove that someone can reduce their cardiovascular disease risk for, you know, the purpose of today's conversation, reduce their diabetes risk, restore their period, do a lot of things that are huge markers of health, of great health, without changing anything regarding their weight. And so I think it's really important to understand. And it's also important to understand that weight is very much genetically determined. It's not a behavior, right? And so sometimes we have to understand that you and I can eat the same things, can follow the same diet, and we would still have different body shapes. And that is okay. That is how we were born. And so I think there's a lot of work to be done in this area. I think it's a definitely a whole other conversation that, that we could have. But I do think that reminding ourselves that Weight is not a behavior. We need to really think about our health first. And if we end up losing weight in the process of optimizing our health, wow, that's really a bonus. But I don't think that it's something that we, like I said, should look at as a starting point. Let me lose weight and all my problems will go away. That is absolutely not the case. Yep. And another thing that you just touched on that I think is also vitally important is that what works for one person may not work for all. So we can't, again, get caught up in these things like weight and not focusing on weight. Because I think a lot of times patients with PCOS get caught up in, if that's working for this person, then it's going to work for me. But we're starting to learn because people are different and symptoms and severity vary from person to person that it really needs to be an individual approach. So can you talk a little bit more about, I mean, I know you already did, but just a little bit more about why it's so important to make your plan, your plan with PCOS. Well, the first thing I would say is that PCOS is a chronic condition and it's a lifelong condition. And as such, we want a plan, an eating plan that you can see yourself 
following in 10 years and 20 years and 30 years, right? And that's going to look very different because everyone has different lifestyles and family traditions and food preferences. And all of those things have to come into play and we have to take them into account when we're creating a plan. In short, I can go keto for 10 days. I actually tried doing that. I only lasted about three and that was a long time ago. And I just knew right away that I couldn't do it. And I have a lot of clients who come to me and say, yeah, I did this diet. It worked while I was on it. But then when I stopped, everything went back to how it was before. One of the reasons is that most diets don't really teach you what to do. They just hand you a plan and you follow it and you're not sure why or how it works or what's happening. And that's why the learning is not there. You're not actually changing your habits. And so when someone is looking to manage a chronic condition, we really need to think about what are you going to get excited about eating and doing every single day? You jump out of bed, you love your food, you love how you're managing your health, and you actually feel positive about it. I would say for anyone listening, if you're waking up every day dreading having to make food decisions or dreading having to do anything related to your health, that's a big red flag that what you're doing is not sustainable. And so we have to find a better way to do it, something that would fit seamlessly into your lifestyle. I always tell my clients, eating shouldn't become a full-time job in and of itself. It should be something that you learn how to do and you do naturally and you do it with joy. That's my approach. That's how I teach people to change their lifestyle. We really try to be inclusive. We try to not make too many rules. We try to keep the sustainability of it in mind so that someone can end my plan, finish working with me and continue smooth selling into the rest of their life, doing the same exact thing and seeing great results. So I think it's hard because generally speaking, balancing your hormones in this way is going to take longer. And a lot of people get impatient. And so having patience, thinking about how you want your life to, to be, how do you want to see yourself in 10 years? How do you want to eat? How do you want to feel? That helps remind someone okay, I can stick with this. This is doable. I can absolutely see myself continuing in this way. And that's usually going to be the best option. Right. So when we're talking about sustainability, how important is it to have a plan such as like the role of meal planning in creating a sustainable plan for nutrition? It's important. There are a lot of different definitions for meal planning. I'm going to share with you, Ashley, my definition. I think that meal planning is really the highest form of self-care because you really get to be intentional about what you're eating. You think about your food. So I'm not talking about spending your entire Sunday in the kitchen and making all the containers and all the things. If that works for someone, that's great. But I know that for the vast majority of people who come to work with me, they don't want to be doing that. They want to have a system in place for meal planning that takes less time and it's more on autopilot, right? Something that they can do very easily. And so what we do is we think about starting with the hardest parts of your week, meaning you're planning for those tough times where you always tend to go through the drive-through or you always end up, you know, eating something and maybe overeating or eating impulsively. We all have those difficult spots in our day, whether that's right when we walk in from work and we're hungry and we can't wait to get dinner on the table. So we're snacking or we're doing something haphazardly. Anytime you're doing something, you know, as far as 
eating goes that doesn't feel in control, where you don't feel in control, is a good thing to plan for. So you may want to start really easily with planning just to bring some healthy snacks with you so you can manage your appetite and keep your blood sugar a little bit more stable. A lot of people have blood sugar dips throughout the day, after lunch, or maybe you know even excessive snacking after dinner. So whatever that time of day is for you, that's where I would start. You may also want to start planning by making small changes to your meals, the meals you're already eating, things like adding vegetables or maybe adding more protein. So what I like to do is take what you're already doing and do it better, improve upon it. I think that's a great starting point for meal planning. And when you do that consistently, you're going to over time, see dramatic changes. So, you know, even if you think that adding a cup of vegetables is not a big deal or eating a, a snack between lunch and dinner is no big deal, do it for a month and see what happens, right? So instead of really overwhelming yourself with meal planning and getting stressed out about getting it right, just pick a couple instances throughout your day and plan for them better. One of the things I teach in my program is we do a 24-hour meal plan, meaning we're just planning for the next 24 hours. We're looking at the day ahead. We keep it really simple. We're not looking too far out. And women really like that because it gives them an action plan for the next day. And so we just write the foods that we're going to eat, breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snacks. And the entire goal for the day is to just try and stick as closely as possible with this plan. That's a form of meal planning as well. And so I would say the simpler, the better. Start with the hardest times of your day. Make a little plan for navigating them better. And over time, this is going to create tremendous changes for really anyone who sticks with it. The key is to keep consistent with it, though. I love that. And my cabinets love that idea because I have stacks of Tupperware from my good <laughs> intentions of, of meal planning for the week that I never do. So this is is revolutionary to me because it, it makes sense that you plan for the next day, you keep it together yes. for 24 hours, and then you move on. So brilliant, yeah. brilliant, brilliant, and a whole new concept on meal planning. I love it. So Good. since we are celebrating the 10th anniversary of Heart for PCOS, I wanted to focus on some of the factors that can increase risk for metabolic syndrome and ultimately cardiovascular disease and how utilizing nutrition can help us improve our health and reduce these risks. So let's start with insulin resistance. Up to 70% of patients with PCOS experience insulin sensitivity or insulin resistance. Long-term, higher levels of insulin can contribute to things like abnormal lipid profiles and high blood pressure, which are risk factors for cardiovascular disease. Can you talk a little bit about insulin resistance what we need to be aware of with food choices and what foods or nutritional practices may help reduce high blood sugar and high insulin. Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing I think that is important to know is that someone with PCOS could be insulin resistant, but have perfectly normal blood sugar levels. And so if you're going to your doctor and they're saying, well, there's nothing wrong with you, your blood sugar is fine, your hemoglobin A1C, which is a three-month average blood sugar reading, is fine, you may still be dealing with insulin resistance. And so it's still important to work on blood sugar management and leveling off any spikes, any peaks and valleys that you may have throughout the day is going to help tremendously with insulin resistance. 
let's just kind of take a step back because I want to make sure everyone knows what happens in the body when there's insulin resistance. Insulin is a hormone that helps us keep blood sugar stable. Like you said, with insulin resistance, the cells of the body are not responding to insulin. And so the pancreas continues to release insulin because there's no sugar going into the cells. There's no energy in the cells. And so a lot of times people with insulin resistance will feel fatigue. They'll feel a lot of hunger and cravings. That's because the energy from sugar is not entering the cells because insulin is not working properly. And so over time, insulin accumulates, causing a whole slew of problems. And so what we really want to do with nutrition is reduce the body's demand for insulin. And the first thing that someone may think is, well, I can't eat carbs or I shouldn't be eating any sugar. And that's really not the case. Many different types of carbs can be included into someone's daily food plan safely and deliciously and with a lot of health in mind. But what we need to do is to make sure that we're eating those carbohydrates in balance with other nutrients. So the first thing that we want to look at is, do meals have protein sources with them? Does the meal contain enough fiber? Protein and fiber are the two things that are going to help insulin resistance the most because fiber helps level off any blood sugar spikes. Protein keeps us full. It also helps the body continue to receive energy throughout the day, keeping your metabolism going. So there are a lot of benefits to the combination of protein and fiber. And that could be something like Greek yogurt with berries. That's a combination of protein from the Greek yogurt and and berries are a source of fiber. That could be something like sprouted toast with some avocado and eggs, right? So there could be a lot of really great combinations of protein and fiber that someone can put together. And that's going to help reduce the demand for insulin in the body. The other thing we know is that when people start to eat earlier in the day, And they don't skip breakfast as many people tend to do because we're all so busy and rushing out the door and having no time to prep in the morning. But having that breakfast within ideally about two hours of waking up can help insulin levels go down later in the day. Studies also show that eating higher amounts of food or larger meals earlier in the day can help with ovulation, with reducing androgens. So all of those things can really help PCOS in general, and insulin resistance in particular. And then the last thing I would say is that we need to be eating at regular intervals. I just actually got off a call with a client who said, you know, I only eat one meal a day because I don't have time and that meal is so big and I don't feel hungry afterwards. Where we really want to spread out the meals throughout the day to keep blood sugar stable, to prevent insulin surges. So Not skipping meals, spacing out your food is also going to be really helpful for insulin resistance. That's on the nutrition front. There are a lot of non-food related habits and lifestyle factors that help with insulin resistance, getting enough sleep, making sure that you're moving your body, especially after meals. When you move your body, your cells, it's kind of like a wake-up call for your cells to take up sugar from the bloodstream and have insulin work a little bit better. And then, of course, stress management, which we talk about a lot. So those are the non-food-related factors. But, of course, food is foundational for insulin management. Absolutely. And one thing that you touched on that I think gets overshadowed a lot because we're always so worried about insulin resistance is... Androgen excess, which can 
contribute to exacerbated symptoms such as acne, hirsutism, thinning hair. So I know androgen excess is not always controlled just by the foods that you eat, but also establishing a good dietary plan, a good lifestyle management plan. Can you talk a little bit about androgen excess and how nutrition and lifestyle can help with balancing hormones? Yeah, of course. So androgens, which are male hormones, are usually coming from two places. They could come from the ovaries or they could come from the adrenal glands. From the ovaries, that's linked directly to insulin resistance because what happens is when someone has insulin resistance that's not properly managed, insulin would accumulate in the bloodstream over time and then start acting on the ovaries to release testosterone, which is a male hormone, as opposed to estrogen. Okay. And so if we want to reduce testosterone, if we want to make sure that we're restoring the cycle and ovulation, which are all things that can go haywire when too much testosterone is in the system, we really need to go to the source, which is insulin resistance. And so it goes back to managing insulin resistance with lifestyle changes we're looking more at androgens that are released from the adrenal glands like DHEA, which is more stress-related. So food plays less of a role with DHEA, which is another type of androgen that women with PCOS often have at high rates. And that would be most responsive to stress management, things like yoga, sleep, eating enough food, right? Not going on a 1200 calorie diet and exercising excessively, right? We want to reduce stress on the body. And so that's going to help with DHEA. As far as foods that help testosterone, I'm going to give you three that are really well-researched and we know that they're definitely playing a role. And the good news is that a couple of them are also very heart protective. So we're bringing it full circle to heart health. The first one we know of is spearmint tea. So studies do show that spearmint tea, two cups of spearmint tea per day is going to help reduce androgen levels. Now, we don't know exactly why, but we do know that there's good data behind it. And I would say that's probably one of the easiest thing, assuming someone likes tea to incorporate. It's very soothing. So it can also help with stress management and just a nice habit and ritual to get into. And so two cups of spearmint tea. And a lot of people ask me, can it be iced tea? Yes, you can brew it and drink it cold. It doesn't really matter. So that's one thing that is effective. The other thing is flax seeds. So about a tablespoon of ground flax seeds per day are known to help reduce estrogen levels as well as testosterone levels. And the last thing, and so flax seeds are very heart protective. They're a healthy source of fat. They're a plant-based source of fat, which is really the best thing for our heart. And then the last thing is another type of fat that's heart protective and helps reduce androgens, and that's omega-3 fats. So eating fatty fish. Now, if someone doesn't like fatty fish, they may want to consider taking a supplement because omega-3 fats are essential fats, meaning our body doesn't make them on its own. We have to get them from an external source. And so the recommendation is for two, three to four ounce servings of fish per week or taking a supplement. And of course, always consult your doctor before starting something like this. But omega-3 fats can help reduce inflammation and reduce androgens pretty dramatically. I love it. I love it. I love it. So there's one more factor that goes into this trifecta with PCOS that I wanted to talk about, which is inflammation in PCOS. I see a lot regarding anti-inflammatory diets for PCOS and how processed foods can contribute to higher inflammation. So I would love your insight on this. Yeah. So with inflammation, 
my approach is let's add more anti-inflammatory foods. And yes, we can eliminate some stuff, but I like to add. I like I like eating more. You know, that's kind of like my personal approach is let's think about what we can have more of. And over time, what happens is that you kind of overcrowd your plate with foods you want to have more of and everything else just kind of becomes not important. And that's been my approach. And you, you know, so we can talk about eliminating things that have a lot of sugar in them or a lot of trans fats, but I think it's best to think about the foods that we know are super healthy and very helpful in reducing inflammation. And actually when we look at populations around the world that have low rates of inflammation and we look at what they're eating, there are a lot of similarities. And the biggest one is they eat a lot of plants. So they eat a lot of not just fruits and vegetables and a variety of colors, but they also eat beans and legumes and they eat a lot of grains, whole grains specifically. And so the whole conversation around not eating grains or reducing carbohydrate intake is really irrelevant when you look at those blue zones, those areas around the world where people live to 100 plus. And yeah, and, you know, I grew up right on the Mediterranean and we know the Mediterranean diet is a very anti-inflammatory, very well-researched diet. And so sure enough, the blue zones, parts of Italy and Greece, which are also on the Mediterranean, are those areas where people live the longest and they don't just live the longest, they live the healthiest. And so they eat a lot of plants. They don't eat a lot of sugar and processed meats. Okay, so they don't eat hot dogs and bologna and things like that. So a lot of processed meats are not part of their diet. They eat plant-based fats. So a lot of nuts and seeds and olives and olive oil. And they also eat a lot, a good amount of fish. And so those are the foods that are going to be most helpful for reducing inflammation and with that, reducing heart disease risk. So a lot of fiber containing grains, a lot of fruits and vegetables, plant-based fats, fatty fish, and to sweeten the deal, they drink wine every single day, right? I, 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 could, I could live like that very easily. I love that. <laughs> and wine has reversitol in it, right? Reversitol. Yes. 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 And so the thing with the one kind of disclaimer, the little thing we need to put here is that wine is most beneficial when people have incorporated it regularly throughout their whole life. And so this is not a prescription for someone to start drinking wine, right? So if you're not already doing it, it's probably not going to be beneficial. But in all seriousness, you know, the lifestyle around the Mediterranean diet and anti-inflammatory eating in general has components that are not related to food because, you know, there's a huge part about togetherness, eating together. So, you know, when you go to Italy or Greece or anyone who's ever been in some of those countries, you see people are just socializing and drinking a glass of wine, right? And that's very much a part of their lifestyle. And so it needs to be something that's already incorporated into someone's lifestyle. And also they drink one glass of wine per day or maybe two, and they don't save up and drink 14 glasses of wine on a Saturday night, right? So that's another thing. There's something to be said for spreading it out for dosages. And we know that it's mostly safe for most women to drink one glass of wine per day, but we don't want to overdo it. So we need to really think about moderation, spreading things out and keeping it reasonable when it comes to alcohol. I, I think that's great. And I think that 
transcends just alcohol, but with, with food as well, right? We have to, we have to just be aware of, again, what we put into our bodies, right? Exactly. And that's why I never want to, you know, have someone tell me or I would never tell someone, well, you can't eat cake or you can't eat dessert or you can't have, you know, insert your favorite food. It really doesn't matter what that thing is. Yes, it may not be the healthiest food on the planet, but it absolutely has a spot in your diet if it brings you pleasure and joy. And right around now when we're recording this, it's the holiday. So if someone is eating foods that are tied up with memories, that has a huge value for your health. And so we need to also consider that. And like you said, do it in moderation and make sure that it's part of your bigger picture diet that's for the most part balanced. And then there's absolutely no problem with that. Love it. So I want to pull all of this together with all these factors that we talked about, which can impact health and ultimately cardiovascular health. What is the good news and the biggest takeaway about nutrition for PCOS? (laughs) Okay. So that's a great question. I would, yeah, I would say the biggest takeaway, something that I, I, really drill into my clients' minds every single day is you have power, you have control. There is a lot that you can do, even though the PCOS diagnosis is very overwhelming and there's a lot of noise out there about PCOS. Ultimately, I think you do have control because nutrition and lifestyle plays such a huge role. I would say pick something that you can get started with Pick something that you're going to enjoy doing and would feel good in your body. And that would be the best thing to build upon over time in order to reduce your risk of complications, be it diabetes or heart disease, and restore your cycle, balance your hormones. So be patient with it, but constantly keep building one brick at a time so that you can feel within six months or a year from now that you've made a huge transformation. Got to be patient with it, but it does pay off. I love that. Yes, be patient and it pays off. That is the best message (laughs) that I think you can give anyone. So the information you shared here today was incredible and is going to go such a long way in helping people understand the role of nutrition and lifestyle in their PCOS care plan. So I want people to know how they can connect with you and learn more and uh, book a consultation with you. How do we find you? Yeah. So the two best places to find me are my podcast, the Down to Earth PCOS Nutrition Podcast. It's on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and everywhere else. And then I invite people to come hang out with me on Instagram um, at pcos.nutritionist.daphna. And that's the best place to find me every single day. And I do have a website as well, daphnachazen.com, which is where people can contact me directly. Love it. And everyone, I will be sharing all of these links with you. So you have them right in front of you. So you can connect right to Daphna to get more of this wonderful information. I am so happy that I got to sit down and talk with you today and learn more about what you do. And I hope in the future that you will come back and join us again. Absolutely. Um, and for everyone who listened in today, thank you for joining once again and being part of Heart for PCOS, which connects PCOS and cardiovascular disease by understanding it and reducing the risks. I hope you will learn more with us throughout the month and have a wonderful day, everyone.